one of the frames that we're using um, as a way for people, human beings now, to have a, have a sense of their role in the universe, their place in the universe, a sense of their own individual destiny um, and responsibility, is this idea that evolution now is not is no longer driven by natural selection. Evolution now is driven by human cultural selection. So, which is to say that we have become the, we're in the driver's seat of the future that we're creating both, both from, an, people think of it from an environmental standpoint, what we're gonna to do to the environment, but also from a cultural standpoint, how we're gonna be as human beings with each other. So we're, we actually are in the driver's seat. We are responsible now for the future that is going to unfold, the evolutionary future that's going to unfold in this part of the universe, which is sort of a daunting thing to face, but it's also a hugely liberating and inspiring and ennobling to know, to know that that's what human existence is responsible for now. So it's something that, that we would say, when you really get that, um, that's the kind of evolutionary warrior we want to, we think the world needs. And it's not individuals, but it's a collective that's being built of people that, that are recognizing that we as humans aren't just here to do whatever, have a good time. I mean, we're here to have a good time, but we're also here to have a good time while we are actually shaping the future of evolution. So it's a, it's, um, it's, a, it's a huge concept when you think about it, and it's hard to think about, um, but if you really get into it and, and, and get grounded in it, it's something that, you know, we, that gives, gives you reason to get up in the morning, like you're in charge, we're in charge, and, and we, haven't, we haven't owned that yet. And, and obviously there's pockets of people who do own that, but until we own it as a, as a, as a culture, as a species, it doesn't work. It's not like a couple of us can do it. It's, it's, it's who human beings as a species are becoming and can become out of, out of uh, awareness and declaration and a stand for that and having that then shape our actions because they're significant. They're what's going to happen, the future we're going to build and can build is really is in our hands. So this idea of an evolutionary activist is something we're, we're playing with as an organization, trying to figure out how to build that into the, the training that we, that we do for people to wake people up to their individuals, wake individuals up to their, to their the sense of what's, what's going on in the world, why it's happening and what's possible, but we want to wake them up, wake people up that it's not just an individual issue, it's a, it's a societal-wide issue, it's a social issue, it's a species. I, I, I heard this, it's like the idea that when, when rain, when we, let's see, when it rains we get wet, we think it's individual, no, rain is everybody. Um, this is the same thing, each of us waking up, but it's not about us individually, it's about the species, who we are as human beings shifting to a different a new, a different domain of responsibility. So it's, 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 it actually, I can see how it ties in with a little bit with what you were saying earlier about initiations and and uh, rites of passage. There's there's sort of a rite of passage. This this increasingly powerful species, the human, is is it's getting to the point where we need to go through a rite of passage where we need to take responsibility for ourselves as a species, not just as individuals. So anyway, that's something we're working on. <laughs> this is fantastic. This is Clinton Callahan here in San Francisco. I'm talking with Bill Twist, who is founder and co-founder and CEO of Pachamama.org, which is a, a, a like a leading edge organization who is 
developing uh, relationships between the North and the South in the American in the Americas, which is fulfilling a an ancient prediction about the condor and the what's it called the condor and the, the eagle. eagle flying yeah. together, and it's this uh, uh, a bridge being built between uh, indigenous roots and and the modern culture interacting with indigenous cultures and through modern culture having to face something very different from itself to, that this in this gap something new emerging and this is what Bill Twist has been talking about here and I hope to have him speak more about the emergence of next culture through his work at Pachamama so right. and just to be it's thank you. The, the thank you, <laughs> and and the name of the organization is Act the Pachamama Alliance. Thank you. Pachamama.org <coughs> is our website. Great. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Taking responsibility for a new aspect of responsibility of the human experience, a human being on the earth, is is really a big thing, and I I look at it somewhat about I can view this thing called the ethnosphere, if you could imagine the entire eth ethno cultures around the world forming one organism or one cloud like one network mm -hmm. and the work that you're doing is in um, creating new culture the possibility of new culture and actually filling that possibility with actions how are can you just talk about how that goes um, yeah well the the kind of underlying story that we're that that is motivating us um, actually comes from from Thomas Berry's work you know Thomas Berry he wrote a book called the great work and basically he 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 said the great work of the human of our time the human species at this time is to shift to manage a shift for the human species from a destructive influence impact a destructive influence and impact on the planet to a mutually enhancing relationship with nature and all being and that's a real simple it's a real simple statement but it's profound and reshapes everything because we need to move from we need to recognize we've been a destructive influence to a real simple thing let's be a mutually not just a beneficial but a mutually enhancing where the human and all of nature is enhanced out of the relationship the human has. So that sounds simple to say, really complex to do, because it calls everything into question. So the, so the way we're engaging with that then is um, having people through the educational programs that we do, having people see that the, this, this past we've had where we've been a destructive influence on the planet is really something we've created and chosen unconsciously chosen and in the educational programs we get at and hopefully unpack for people to see how the the world that we're living in is the world we're creating it it's not the result of an evolutionary trend it's something we're doing and we're doing it because of unexamined assumptions of, of ideologies deeply hidden we're not aware of that are driving us and the educational program is aimed at having people see how the present that we have is a function of human choice and that by getting aware of and, and um, a certain degree of facility in understanding those choices and assumptions, old stories that we're living in, <clears throat> that we get free enough from them that we can see the possibility of choosing something new. And we build into the education program the, what we call the universe, or what's referred to as the universe story, which shows that, which is a story that shows that we, the human, are, are an integral part of this unfolding universe. The old story that, that has created the world we have now, it, basically that story either has the human as, has the human as, 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 as over here in the, and the universe of the world over there. The world's either a big machine we're trying to figure out or the world is something that's, that's 
dictated by a patriarchal figure somewhere who's managing everything, but we humans are separate from it. And you could see how that kind of a relationship with the world, that we're a worldview that thinks that we the humans are separate, that there is a, some kind of, there's the, as soon as we have separation, there's a beginning of hierarchy. If, you can, if we can think that we're here and the world is over there, there's a hierarchical structure that's created that makes it possible for them also for us to be able to think, well, I'm here and that other human being is over there. There's, I don't, I don't need to be, I could, I could dominate or oppress because of this hierarchical way of being. Um, that's an old worldview that's been reinforced by science, by thousands of years of stories we've been living in. The universe story tells a new worldview. And in the new worldview, the human is an integral part of nature and all creation, and we're all growing into greater, in, into a universe of greater complexity and collaboration and interconnection. That actually provides the basis for a vision of seeing a, seeing a, a future that's possible, that has, that has a thriving, just, sustainable outcome in it where it's pretty hard, it's almost impossible to imagine that from the worldview that we have now. But that worldview is changing, not because we're forcing it to change, it's changing naturally out of the scientific, out of our, the evolutionary process and the scientific story that's now telling us a whole new story about who we are in relation to all of nature. So this, the education work that we do then ends up using that as kind of a springboard, that universe story is a springboard into um, having people see the possibility of an entirely new future and see that they individually can be, are responsible and can be responsible. A stand that they take for a future that's entirely discontinuous from the past, the stand they take for the future is sort of the the, the end point that we're trying to get at with the, with the work we do. The, this evolutionary activist idea that we talked about just a few seconds, a few minutes ago, is something we want to add, that we're adding because it's clear this isn't an individual task. It's clear it's not what an individual does makes a difference and it, it's essential but it's not sufficient. It need, individuals need to be formed together into some new kind of human expression. And that's, what, that's essentially where we need to get, that this is a we world now, not a, not a me world, and that our educational programs are aimed at getting people to that where, where we're building what we say a critical mass of conscious commitment to a sustainable and just world. So we do these programs all over the world with volunteer leaders. They're three, four hour long programs. We call them a symposium where we do a wake up, which is a version for young people. And um, our commitment is to expand that, keep growing that around the world. Have the programs go deeper, always evolving to go deeper into that understanding of what this new human expression is. and. Um, have the program, have the participants use it in a way to get engaged in the world and actively. I think there are many more evolutionary activists than realize themselves as evolutionary activists. And it's, you know, we've all been through this educational program that suppresses anything that's not in the curriculum and kind of channels us into a preformed idea of what a good student is which doesn't necessarily make a good human being. And uh, how do you actually empower or bring, how do you make it safe enough for somebody to change their self-image from being a, a civilized good person to being an evolutionary activist? Um, well, we haven't figured that out yet. And what, is, <laughs> what, what, what would an evol evolutionary activist be like or in their daily work? Yeah, what, so what, that, that's another <clears throat> excuse me, aspect of what we're, I'm not sure we're going to use the phrase evolutionary activist. It's been used. Um, there's other people who, who use it. We're looking at 
the idea of building some kind of a new form of global citizenship. Um, and the aspects of that, like what would that, what would that person be? And, and again, it's not a person, it's a societal, it's a, it's a societal characteristic that needs to have a critical mass in our, in our species. Um, we're playing with that. Some of the, some of the elements that we're looking at, <clears throat> it's someone, we would say it's got to be, first it's someone who, Albert Einstein had this question, or this statement, that the most important thing, I think the most important thing we can do is figure out whether we think the universe is hostile or friendly. And that shapes, shapes everything. So for us, an, evolu an evolutionary activist thinks the universe is friendly. And that, the, and that the, we, we have in our, one of our guiding principles, and that this is a principle that we think an evolutionary act activist would, would, would share, is that the, the, um, the creative force, we, the creative force that put the stars in motion is still with us all working through us still and is a, and is a beneficial, um, embracing force whose guidance we can trust. So an evolutionary activist knows that the human is an expression of something that's trying to emerge and happen in the world. Um, so that would be, a, that would be kind of a beginning characteristic of the evolutionary activists. Um, evolutionary activists would, would know clearly that we as a species are, we individually and as a species are an integral, are inside of something. We're not, we're totally connected um, and part of nature and, and all, of, all of creation's expression. We're not separate from it, we're, we're a, communion of subjects everywhere, not we're a subject here and there's objects out there. So an activist would, would understand the totally integrated role that the human has within all of nature. Um, I'm trying to think, of, we, we wrote up about five of these, I can't remember the, all of the others. Um, there's a sense of, we're, we're trying to get at a sense of Warriorship, not warrior-like military battle, but warrior-like responsibility, integrity. That you know your word and what you stand for matters. That it actually shapes the the world. So you have to have total commitment and sense of the tie-in between of your responsibility and your your word in the world. Um, <clears throat> The idea of, of someone who engages. So the, when, there's, when there's a conflict or concern or something that throws one off, we're thinking this evolutionary activist, global citizen, is someone who knows to engage in that and not avoid but to engage and, and engage responsibly. The idea is, is, is almost, and, and, and we've been playing with this idea of initiation, that there's a stage, there's a place in, probably in, you know, in Joseph Campbell's work or, or in indigenous culture, there's an there's a initiation you go through, and when you go through that initiation, complete that, you're a different human being because of the responsibility you have, but also because of what's then expected, naturally expected of you and your relations with everyone else and people relate to you and count on you for that. So it's kind of that, that sort of element is what we're trying to get at too. That people who, who take on this role of being an evolutionary activist or a, a, follow this pathway to global citizenship, recognize that and, and there's, there's not an arrogance to it, like, I'm, no, I'm doing this and I'm better because you're not. But it's just a role to play. It's a role of maturity, of responsibility and integrity. So that's what we're, we're aiming at, kind of those 
those, those are three things, but there's a couple more I can't remember them now. <clears throat> Bill, will you tell us a little bit about how you came to be a global citizen? Um, well, I'd say I'm on a, yeah, I came to be on the pathway to global citizenship. I think it's probably, it's like a mountain with no top. So you've got to love, the value is in the climbing. Um, there's no place, there's no, there's no end, I don't, I don't think. I mean, maybe somebody have got it figured out. We don't have it figured out. But, <clears throat> but how I got into this then, originally how I got into it was, we were talking the other day, I was involved with an organization that created a thing called the Hunger Project. That was back in the 70s, mid-70s, late 70s. And that was sort of the beginning of me looking at um, just being involved in the conversation of, of actually using my life and abilities to influence the future of life for everyone. It didn't even occur to me before that 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 was something you could do. You just did your own thing. Um, and then how, we got it, how I got involved in, in this with the Pachamama Alliance is, is my wife and I um, were invited to visit in Ecuador with an indigenous group, indigenous culture, that was facing, that knew they were facing a threat in the future and had, through, through a, really a miraculous series of coincidences, had ended up having a eco-lodge being built in their territory. The eco-lodge, the purpose of the eco-lodge was to bring contact to them from the outside world with purposeful tourists, purposeful human beings and to raise money for them so that they'd be able to fund a political organization. And this was in, a, in the most remote part of the Amazon in Ecuador, and my wife and I were invited to go there. Neither of us knew anything about environmental issues or about really indigenous cultural issues. We'd worked on hunger, um, but not on, not on the environment, not on indigenous issues. And it was a real eye-opener for both of us and we ended up doing ceremonies with the, with the indigenous people. We did ceremonies with their shamans. The ceremony is a ceremony where you actually use plant medicine, teaching plants that they use. We did ceremony with the indigenous people. That was really the first time I'd, that I, either my wife or I had done, used a teaching plant. We'd use recreational you know, marijuana. Of course, we didn't inhale, though. But um, the first time we'd used a teaching plant, and it and it shaped, it shaped, it did something. We were taught something. We were taught, we were taught about how the world, the natural world that these plants come from, is so infused, is totally infused with a, with a loving embrace and a commitment and an intelligence, and that was like, like a real eye opener. And out of that, then that trip, we didn't really commit to start anything. We, we, had a, we formed a relationship and we said, Let's, we'll try and figure out what we can do that's missing that would be supportive of you. And out of that gradually grew, over the last 18 years, has grown this organization. One of the first things that they, the message we got when we first went and started working with the indigenous people was this statement that it's wonderful that you're here to help us figure out how to keep the oil companies out or the mining companies out or get our water cleaned up. But if you really want to do the work that needs to be done, you need to get back, you need to go to the source, get back up to your part of the world and change the dream of the modern world. That's why it's the dream of the modern world that's destroying, that's a threat to our culture, to this rainforest, which is an asset for the whole world. It's the dream of the modern world. So go up and do that. And that was, that was, that was an instruction we got at the very beginning and we've held that. And it's sort of the mantra we come back to when we're, when we're looking at difficult issues as the organization. Okay, how do we do this? What should we be doing? We always come back to it. Okay, now remember what the indigenous in that first encounter with indigenous people was 
request to change the dream of the modern world. Seems, obviously, seems monumental, but it's what, it's what my sense is you're working on. There's lots of people working on it. We need more people working on it. Um, and so that's, that's what we were doing. That's how we got started with all this. Very first request from the indigenous people in 1995 was great that you're a partner. Here's how you be a great partner. Change the dream of the modern world. There's a woman named Margaret Wheatley at the Burkana Institute. And one uh, article that she's written and is working on, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's about using emergence to take social actions to scale. And uh, it, it provides a, a, a really positive possibility for me, and I wanted to just tell you about it. Which is to use emergence. Emergence. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll explain yeah. it. Let me just explain it because it's really great, and I think you could have a shift here that would be great. It's it's the reason we came to talk to you. Mm -hmm. The reason is we all wanted to connect with you, is because most people use this idea that you've mentioned a couple of times called critical mass, meaning that <clears throat> you have to get fifty-one percent basically of. Uh, population to shift into a new paradigm before the paradigm takes over, it, before it flips, the whole thing flips to a new, a new set of operating factors. Mm -hmm. So it's a real logical and reasonable kind of concept. Uh, but it also turns out that there's, there's uh, another thing going on when, when big, big, you know, whole systems change right. happens, which is this, this thing called it, if, 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 if um, communities of practice, so what you've been describing is a community of practice here at the Pachamama Alliance and also everybody who's involved in the, uh, in the education programs that you're doing and the symposiums and your trainers, like that whole is a body, a, a group of, a body of practice, a group of pra community of practitioners. If those communities of practitioners connect with each other in a way that value is exchanged. This is called a critical connection. And when you make a critical connection between communities of practice, you create a field of influence. It's almost like electrons shooting back and forth on a wire making an electromagnetic field. So the exchange of value between communities of practice establishes this field of influence that promotes the emergence of sustainable culture. So it doesn't take uh, a, a critical mass, it takes a network of critical connections. Right. That it's the same kind of thing that, for example, took down the Berlin Wall or that right. caused these sudden evolutionary shifts of awareness and consciousness that have happened periodically over the earth more and more lately. That, uh, so that's why we wanted to talk to you and just connect and hear you and yeah. provide whatever we can to you because you've already given us value and we're just kind of exchanging value back and forth with you here right. and that's so I just wanted you to know that this is out there that you're actually creating this field of a crit, you know a field for the emergence of next culture yeah and it's, it's it doesn't take getting 51% of the people walking unconsciously through a shopping mall to suddenly cut their credit cards up and go home and meet with their neighbors and have a potluck dinner grown from vegetables in their front yard that they tore up right. you know from a grass and made vegetable garden so um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and, and, and I think, and, and when we say, when we've said, I, I, when we say critical mass, I think we're thinking what you just described. We're not thinking we've got to get, we're thinking of a trim tab, but there's a, we need a, a, we need a critical mass that actually is like the Buckminster Fuller's example where you, you the trim tab on the back of the rudder of a ship takes a lot of force to turn the rudder and then the ship turns once you turn the rudder but if you turn the trim tab that allows you to turn the rudder easily and the ship turns so when we say a critical mass I think we're maybe we should say it differently because I think your your description is what we're what we're thinking that there's that there's an influential group that that has a tremendous that has yeah, trim tab, we say like a trim tab effect that can shift things out of proportion to their numbers. Yeah, that's good. Could you give people an idea of sort of the global perspective of your work? 
of what you're doing, just because a lot of people think about trying to pay their phone bill or, you know, feed the kids breakfast before they go to school or whatever. But you kind of wake up in the morning with a different vision. You know, of course those things are handled, but but there's a bigger vision driving you and attracting you forward. But can you just give people a, a little story about that? Well, I'm ask that again. Like, how do we? What's your world vision? How things are, you know, how you're moving, how you're moving things, how you connect things, what you see, because most of us don't have even a concept or idea how how to, how to live, you know, eating my oatmeal and thinking about moving the world into a new future. Right. Well, I think well, that's a good. I mean, that's a it's a good question or a good um, conundrum because there are obviously. This conversation is one that seems like a luxury, um, and there's lots of people that it looks like don't have time for it because they're facing immediate things of putting food on the table or whatever, finding a job. Um, so I'm not, you know, what what we do, what we're doing is we're reaching out to the people who are willing to engage with this. And willing, I guess, also means sort of have the privilege or ability to engage. And um, I think that's just where the conversation is now. I think it has to live, it has to get grounded at that level where people who've got a certain amount of ability in the world they have a certain amount of freedom, certain degrees of freedom to choose, are engaging and starting to look at how they're gonna, how they are gonna shape culture, emerging culture. Um, you know, our organization, the way we've spread, the way we've done our, the way we've marketed our our workshops is by word of mouth. So when you do something by word of mouth, who you talk to is the other people that you know. So a lot of who we've reached so far is is people for whom this the message of a new possibility for the future something that they have the freedom to think that they can actually get involved and do something with that our commitment is to get it much broader than just ourselves by word of mouth so we're looking at how to market it differently how to how to brand it differently um, so that the conversation can 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 appear useful and valid for people who aren't traditionally environmentalists or aren't even traditionally people who are thinking about resolving world issues. Um, but we haven't, we haven't broken into that yet and haven't gotten an answer to solve that. So look, you know, if I'm having a dream, a good dream or bad dream, whatever, and somebody wakes me up, from my dream, I have kind of a reaction to that. And I imagine that that's all over the same. That a lot of people, if, you're, if one of your missions is awakening the dreamer, that you're gonna find some resistance to that. At, how do you deal with that? Yeah, well, well, you have to, so the only reason you would wake someone up is if you're committed and think that you can show the person who's waking up that there's a huge cost to the trance they're in and the possibility that's available once awakened is something that leads to a more flourishing, thriving, f full expression in, this, in the world. So that's, I mean, our premise is that what we're doing is, is totally unacceptable to us as individuals and as a species. And the opportunity is to wake up to be able to create something that actually creates a thriving, ennobling experience for human beings on this planet. That the world we've got is sort of organized to, to I don't know what the opposite of an ennoble is, denoble or unnoble, but, what, but, but the experience of being human ought to naturally be something that ennobles, that we're, we have a sense of our majesty and magnificence. So that's why it's worth waking people up. They may be annoyed at first because there's a certain comfort um, 
So the object is to show, the task is to show that there's a huge new possibility available. So that's what we, that's what we try and accomplish in our, in the workshops. I mean, I mean, if I, sometimes I try to wake somebody up, but I basically say, I'm waking you up because the house is on fire. And then that makes sense, but for waking them up, but then it instills fear. Yeah. And that, that can, people panic and people are not accustomed to having fear in their system. And so they have certain reactions about something's bad or wrong. But what you're talking about is waking somebody up and saying, there's a bright new future. There's something, something so positive that you can hardly even imagine what it is. And, and that's worth getting out of the dream for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the balance. So we use, I mean, we use urgency because people listen. But we try and we don't want to have that be the, as he's saying, it's not that the house is on fire, although it is on fire, but it's on, it's on fire and we could do so much better. It's not just about putting out the fire, but it's about what we could create in the future mm. as opposed to what we've created in the past that has caught fire. So we created something in the past that now is on fire. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't, think we were lighting the fire or designing the fire, but we created something in the past where, where there's fire, destructive fire, could emerge. Literally. We can so easily create something in the future where that fire would not emerge, where we would emerge. So that's, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do. And as you say, it's, sometimes you use, the, you use the, the sense of urgency because people do wake up. But the, our, our goal is not to have people take action out of, out of fear mm -hmm. or solving some old problem that probably won't even solve it, but it'll just kind of put another layer of complexity or confusion on it, but to have people engage where we're creating a whole new domain of action and possibility in the world. Could you just in more detail somehow paint that picture of that future, of that possibility? Well, um, I think it's personal. I mean, I think it's personal for everybody. Everybody has different, would have different ways of describing it. Um, clearly, the future would have us recognizing and honoring the natural world, that we would be continuing to, we would be, not just we would leave the natural world natural, but we would make sure that in our that our in the future, the the services and the inspiration and the beauty um, of the natural world are continuing to be protected and enhanced. Um, I think it's a future where where um, we as we as human beings are operating with each other. Um, within the within the kind of structure human beings create on a so the the idea of a spaceship versus an open frontier an open frontier it's pretty easy for people to ignore each other and to tolerate behavior that you can you can tolerate behavior because you can just say to somebody well you should go somewhere else or I'll go somewhere else when you're in a spaceship when you're in an environment that has closed limits there's a whole different way of human beings being responsible for each other. And that's what I think we, it sounds constrictive because it sounds like it's within limits, but it is within limits, but physical limits, not, not creative limits for human beings, but a different kind of relationship where actual, the issue of oppression and inequality could be eliminated. We don't, the, the, the idea that the poor will always be with us is an old story. And in, an, in a new story, it, it's totally conceivable to not have poverty, not have hierarchy, except where we choose it because it serves our own, all of our own natural expression. It was something we choose to be able to express more love and self-expression in the world. Um, so that's kind of, that's, I don't know if you wanted 
details about like how many solar panels we're going to have and <laughs> how we're going to have alternative energy. I mean, all of that. But I'm more. I'm. I. I think the the possibility for us is to shift entirely as a species, where this idea of of inequality and some people oppress. There's always, you know, we have this old story that we're always going to be poor, or somebody's always going to oppress somebody. But that's a story that we've gotten because we've had the wrong concept. The wrong we have the wrong operating manual, and we're shifting operating manuals in a different operating manual. Totally conceivable that so the the concept of social injustice will just be, rather than it's something we're always managing, it'll be something we just won't tolerate. So that's that for me. That's the the potential for the future. You know, I don't. I don't even think people can imagine that. I mean, we're all trained to survive mostly, except for you said a few luxuries. People have the luxury of making some choices about what they do with their day, besides just trying to survive. And and trying to imagine the shift from surviving to living in a world where social justice isn't even a consideration because of the respect and the nobility and dignity that occurs in the relationships and communications and interactions between human beings all over the world is totally such a foreign thing. But at the same time, there's this kind of longing, I think, about what, you know, that it, that kind of vision or that longing is in kind of each of us. And do you Good. find that? I mean, what do you find for, what's your longing? I mean, what, what do you find among the people that you work with that motivates them? Well, I think, I think that, 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 that's a good way to put it. I think that longing is there. It's universal. When we get, our, when we get practical about it, we think, well, that's crazy. I mean, there's always going to be, we're always going to be fighting. For, we have to be fighting for survival. Like there's this, this, this myth of scarcity or the, or the actuality of scarcity, which is a myth, really that we can actually get to the place of sufficiency, total sufficiency in the world. In a place of total sufficiency, the, the, the drivers of, of oppression and domination go away. And that's totally possible for us to do. But, and it, you're right, it's a huge, I mean, huge change. It's hard to even get the, your mind around it, other than I think a great way to do it is just as you pointed out. Well, what's the, there is a longing. It seems that universally there is a longing. There's a longing, you know, to be fair. There's a longing to be connected. There's a longing, and so that longing, we actually would we I, we have the ability to have that longing be the thing that that guides our our architecture for the future. That we can we can get we can do that. So, so an evolutionary activist carries around and functions from a new operating manual that it is a um, totally functions in the human organism, like new thoughtware and the same computer. You just put in new thoughtware, a totally new operating manual that in which in which love happens, in which in which the longing is allowed to be expressed and actually encouraged that ancient or archetypal longing to come out and flourish uh, in, amongst human beings who are living with each other rather than competing against each other for uh, an abundance of both material and non-material resources that obviously exist. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. You said that perfectly. <laughs> yeah. I'm just repeating what I heard you say. Well, that was better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thoughtware that you're talking about. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and you do you guys have meetings where you where you're you're strateg you strategize how to have more fun while we're doing this. While you're doing this or how do you yeah, well we, well, we usually, that's a, yeah, we try and make sure we have fun, too. Well, what's a day like for, you know, you get to work with a bunch of evolutionary activists functioning with a new operating manual. What's, what's your day like like that? Well, we're, we're using that to design courses. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so if you're, I'm not sure what you're asking. I mean, how do we, 
do we operate here? Um, you know, it's so we're we're doing course design and and designing a network and how to have um, volunteer networks supported really effectively so volunteers can be effective so that our work gets out more. And it's 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 inspiring work and hard work. Um, there's no mod, you know, it's like there's well, there's some models for obviously how you create networks in the world. There's not a lot of models for how to shift a whole conversation about what's possible for humanity. So at times, you know, it's difficult and frustrating. Like you, you don't know, I'm on the right path. Is that the right detour? Do we go down a detour in a dead end? Um, we have a great group of people here in the office, Pachamama office in San Francisco. There's a foundation in Ecuador with a great group of people. And then, and then there's a really active network of volunteers around the world that when, when things are working well, we've got it set up that people are, are giving lots of feedback, there's lots of communication, and something is building, and we're getting feedback on how the, pro, how the programs are working or not working, and what's happened differently now in the world that we need to update them. Um, so we're, we, we try and operate in a way that, let's see, when you, when you, when you know that the creative force that put the stars in motion is still with us. A lot of our work is getting as clear and clean with ourselves as we can and being as open and committed and out there um, so that something can come, something can show up. And we, so we have a lot of confidence that if we can get ourselves, get our personal stuff out of the way, and are really clean and committed and have a strong vision for the gift we're trying to build and offer for the world, um, that things show up we didn't, couldn't predict. We've had the good fortune of being able to interview a number of sort of cutting edge evolutionary or Mm -hmm. evolutionary activist type schools systems, one being the Green School in Bali, another one being Great Education in Sydney and Melbourne, Australia. Uh -huh. And uh, are you working in any way to bring your programs into the schools? For example, especially not even necessarily public schools, but, but evolutionary schools. Um, well, n no, we're not. Um, not by choice. We just hadn't gotten to that yet. We are working to try and get our programs, in the U.S. anyway, in the United States, into high schools and colleges. Um, and we have an arm, uh, we have a kind of a division, a project within the Pachamama Alliance called Generation Waking Up, which is aimed at high school, college age kids. So anybody around the world hearing this or seeing this and wanting more information about that could contact you guys? Yeah, and, and the Generation Waking Up programs are done in, in several countries around the world too, primarily English language speaking countries. So they're in Australia and England, um, New Zealand, Canada, whereas the Pachamama Alliance programs are in, I think we're, we've done them now in 70, 75 countries in 12 or 14 different languages. So they're much more broadly available, um, but the, the youth programs are available too. Yeah. If you were to give kind of a overall message to the people who are your allies or people who are waking up to this this possibility now what would you how could you encourage them to trust their impulses to do things that maybe their parents didn't do or maybe they didn't see examples of in modern culture but actually they really would love to do that kind of work or help people in certain ways or make generosity available in a new form that they never, never saw before, something like that. How, could you talk to those people and just... Hmm. Some message about what you see as possible that really, that you can encourage people with something like that. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, I guess it's just, um, I personally get a, get a huge amount of, um, grounding and inspiration from the recognition that we humans are actually 
in charge. And this isn't like a, not an arrogance, or it's not this, there's, there's a critique of humans thinking they're the top of the evolutionary ladder and everything else is, is lesser. So I don't mean, I mean we're in the middle of it all, we're, we're evolving, we're part of it, but we are a unique evolutionary force now in the, in the unfolding of the evolutionary process, in the unfolding of the grand design here in this part of the universe. And I get a tremendous amount of inspiration from that, recognizing that, that we human beings actually are responsible for responsible and capable, both responsible and capable for the design of the future of the expression of life on this planet for the next hundred million years, whatever it is, that we're at that, something has happened at this time where we humans as a species have that phenomenal responsibility. It's never, it's, it hasn't happened in 13.8 billion years or however long since the Big Bang and there's something that's emerged now in life, in the expression of life that we are and represent. And it's, uh, so I get tremendous amount of, of inspiration and grounding from that and hope, possibility, and I think that that uh, my recommendation would be for people to to grapple with that and sit with that and see how that how that orients them. And my suggestion is that that orients a human being in a, a tremendously ennobling recognition. And it's not something that you do personally. It's not about me personally. It's not about anybody personally. It's about all of us taking responsibility for who we're, who we really are in this unfolding process at this time in this planet. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's great Thanks. for talking to us. And this is Bill Twist from the Pachamama Alliance here in San Francisco www.pachamama.org. Click in and get to one of these symposiums and upgrade your thoughtware and get on board with being an evolutionary activist and get your new operating manual and let's go. Yeah, right. Next Culture News, Clinton Callen. Thank you.